You are listening to Instructive's Insane Instruction Show. I am Ferry V. I create happy and safe users for over two decades. This is a listen and learn podcast to help your firm keep on the right side of the law by creating better information for use. What's more important than safety for your customers? I won't get into details, but one guy actually died recently because the information for use were completely inaccurate. Follow my show and this won't happen to you. How do you know you can trust what I say? I've worked in product development and compliance for a few decades and have built up three companies. I've been in several standardization committees. I'm invited to speak at many international conferences and my blog attracts over 10,000 visitors a month. None of this is as important as keeping your company and your users safe. By following my advice, hundreds of companies have stayed clear of the law. And not only will you comply, your users will also love using your product. They're happy, their partners are happy, and of course, I am happy for them. Hi there, and welcome to the show. In this podcast, we're going to talk about product compliance and the role of technical documentation. We will talk about European legislation, liability and international differences. And we will discuss a case study of a company selling products internationally and what they need to think of in order to be compliant. Making sure that your product and its documentation complies ensures that you are allowed to trade your product internationally, your liability decreases and legal pitfalls are avoided. Jens Uwe-Oyer James is a lawyer based in Hanover, Germany. He is partner of Luther Law Firm, an international law firm specialized in providing advice on all legal and tax issues that are of relevance to businesses, investors and the public sector. Jens advises on all issues pertaining to commercial law. He specializes in drafting and negotiating complex contracts such as plant engineering agreements as well as claim management. Another focus of his work is advising on product liability and product safety, particularly on special topics such as CE conformity evaluation and technical documentation. His clients are final manufacturers and suppliers from the engineering and electrical engineering sectors and the consumer goods sector. When he speaks at conferences, rooms are always fully packed. Jens is a frequent author on blogs such as TC World and renowned Lexology. He has written several papers and books for TCOM. Can you maybe explain us as well how you uh, did get involved in, in the world of CE marking and compliance? It all started years, years and years ago, precisely in 1996. Uh, then I started as a lawyer and uh, then during my first years as a lawyer, from the beginning on, uh, involved in product liability issue because uh, one of our, uh, the partners in our law firm was an uh, American guy during that time, and uh, he was uh, uh, very keen on uh, product uh, liability issues, as you can imagine. I got a pretty good teacher, and I was even privileged in the sense that I um, got in touch with the different approaches of product liability in the US and in Europe, more or less uh, directly face to face. So during that time, I learned a lot. And uh, I have to say, 
the development or the change uh, is quite significant when we are talking about the relevance of product liability and product safety law. In particular, product safety law was during that time, uh, let's say more than 20 years ago, a really exotic part of the public law and honestly no one was really interested in. That has changed dramatically. I can just report from my daily business work. The first part of this year, we had around 20 cases of market surveillance authorities going to the companies and objects against the, the products, uh, saying these products are not CE compliant. So the, the whole product safety uh, law issue became uh, extremely relevant for the companies. And the pity part of uh, the story is that they are very often not prepared at all and have no really idea uh, about CE marking. Right. Can you remind us again, what is CE marking about? What, what are the basic principles or thoughts? The basic principle is simple. It's saying, okay, companies, manufacturers are allowed to place products on the market to bring in particular products into the EU market because the E is linked to the EU and they are only allowed to do that if the products do comply with the essential requirements defined within the respective CE directive such as the low voltage directive such as the machinery directive, such as uh, the directive dealing with toys, uh, etc. So um, there is a bundle of different directives for some product groups, and you have to comply with those directives. The principle, or fascinating principle behind it, is that the European Commission does allow the companies. Uh, to control the compliance with the essential requirements on their own. They have to do a conformity assessment for the products and then they can bring it into the market. After, of course, they, they put on the product or the, the market product with the CE mark and they have then the uh, declaration of conformity ready. So these are the, the basic requirements of CE marketing. In practice, we find a lot of companies uh, struggling with the conformity assessment, not doing it correctly. For example, that they do not refer to the correct technical standard. And amongst all these practical issues, practical difficulties, we have also to face the fact that the technical documentation, which is needed, A, internally as so-called technical file, and B, externally as the user information, the user manual, is not handled uh, with care. I would say a lot of companies are uh, of the opinion that the technical uh, information, the user information is 
not that important at all. And uh, honestly, they have to learn facing the market Twain's authority that this is an important and what, what are market authorities doing uh, in order to tell companies that it is important? They are not telling. They are just coming to the companies and say, hello, uh, here we are. Uh, and that is what we require. So it's, it's, it's not like a, just a dialogue. They, they have a lot of power indeed. And uh, they are entitled to more or less stop the distribution of a product if it's come really worth then they can even decide, okay, uh, the non-compliance of the product is of such a quality that we have to initiate a product recall. And then they uh, have the power to to place an order and to require uh, the companies to to do uh, like this. In practice, it's very often the case that the, the companies will then just follow uh, the market surveillance authorities and then just do the product recall or whatever is required and not formal order is then in the end not placed. But the market surveillance authorities have a lot of power and we have even to, to observe, for example, uh, in France that they are extremely strict. So we have been reported several cases dealing with France where the uh, market surveillance authority goes or went straight forward to a product recall and insisted to do uh, a product recall, even when it comes to the user information. For example, the user information is not published in the French language. Then uh, I can guarantee you a French market surveillance authority will not accept this at all and will insist on a product. That's very interesting. I want to talk later as well a bit more about the requirements on translating your instructions. As a little reminder, why are user instructions such an important part of CE marking? The authors of the CE directives have noticed what is the truth since many, many years, since the 60s, I would say since uh, we are talking about product liability law in Germany or in Europe because it was always an issue of the product liability to say, okay, we require proper instruction from the manufacturer for the product to avoid hazardous situation whilst using the product. This has been uh, a proper legal theory since ages. Uh, and of course, the European Com- Commission noticed this, and of course, this then played uh, also a role with regards to uh, the drafting of the CE directive. Does it have to do with uh, reducing risks? Absolutely, absolutely, because the user manual or the user information is a very important, let's say, instrument to reduce risks. And in particular, the, the warnings or safety messages which you have within the manual or which you have uh, displayed on the product play a huge role in reducing any risk by using the product. And I think, for example, in the ISO 12100 uh, a standard that is harmonized uh, with the machinery directive, this process is standardized so 
in order to reduce the risks of a product and machinery in this case uh, there are three ways to reduce the risk the first thing you can do is uh, by improving the design of the machinery the second thing that you can do is by providing protective measures and the third thing you can do is providing instructions for use so that's the role of user instructions in in the risk reducing process would you say yeah absolutely this describes precisely the concept behind so first you have to do a proper design and if it is not possible to have a, a zero um, level of risk after the design process, then you have to take care for the risk still um, visible uh, and remaining. And these risks are then objects of the safety uh, messages and warnings. Right. Are you saying it is absolutely mandatory to translate your instructions? Absolutely. During the past, we had a bit of a discussion uh, saying, okay, we are not machinery because within the machinery directive, it's clearly stated you have to translate. So a lot of companies said then, uh, okay, this is not relevant for us because we are doing electronic products. But in the meantime, we have the new legislative framework with the new CE directives. And within these directives, it's very clearly said you have to provide information in a language the user is able to understand and which is then defined by the member states. That means, in other words, this is the language of the member state, the official language of the member state. So there's no doubt that you have to translate. But even if you're not looking into the CE directives of product safety law, you will come to the same result uh, because if you're considering uh, the function of the user information uh, to limit the risk or to avoid hazardous situations during the use of the product, then an absolute need is the user does understand what you want to say and what you want to say in particular with regards to avoiding any risk. And if you cannot understand, because you cannot just read the language in which you provide this kind of information, then the function of to prevent a risk cannot be fulfilled at all. So in other words, since ages, it's absolutely clear, clear when it comes to product liability cases, if an information is needed, to avoid a risk situation or a hazardous situation, then you have to translate the information. Makes total sense to me. How's that for the, the medium uh, in which instructions are being provided? Is that regulated in the European Union? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not really um, stated, I have to say, since now. What we have so far is some strong indications saying you have to present it in a form uh, the user is familiar with, and this is still the paper form. So uh, you will find such comments in the guidance documents, for example, for the machinery directive. And in addition, I can only report from my 
work as a lawyer that the market swings authority are to 99% of the opinion that the information has to be presented physically in a paper form. So this is the situation right now. And um, I personally would not advise my clients just to present the information online. And do you distinguish a difference between uh, user instructions and safety instructions? Or would you say both need to be provided in paper form? I had several discussions uh, dealing with that and dealing with the terms user informations or safety informations. Of course, you can say uh, safety information uh, has to be presented in paper form. But honestly, I did not experience at all any practical case in which a technical writer was able to demonstrate me, okay, this is only for the use and this is only for the safety, the relevant information. In practice, it's simply impossible to separate the safety information from the information for use. And if you do do like this, for example, uh, you would separate all the safety messages which you have at the beginning usually of, of a manual, first chapter of the manual. Just to have this is not the paper worth on which it, it is printed because uh, you will hardly be able to understand the safety messages without the background of the user information. Yeah, so there is no context, uh, you mean? Correct. The context is missing, the link is missing, and then it's not usable at all. Yeah, and then you get this question, for example, what what do we need to do with the intended use? Because that's, that's clearly not a safety instruction, but it's essential in order to know where use the product for. Or um, even technical data, for example, uh, the, the, the power supply of a product to a 230 volts that's clearly not a safety instruction but it's it, it's essential information in order to use a product safely yeah absolutely yeah interesting interesting and i took notice of of the new a2079 standard for user instructions mm -hmm. uh which is an uh, iec uh, i e standard mm -hmm. published i think officially last uh, last may so may 2019 there is a slight breakthrough in that standard, I think, um, because that standard for the first time in, in the world of standardization is mentioning that instructions for use, uh, well, no, the medium that you choose depends on the needs of your target group. D does this mean when the standard will become part of the European harmonization uh, framework that this becomes European law? So it is allowed for companies to provide the instructions solely online as soon as they can prove that their users need an online manual? First of all, I totally agree with your observation. Yeah, this is really a significant step forward. And uh, trust me, I was a bit involved. Uh, some of our guys from Jacob, uh, Germany were extremely deeply involved in drafting this new standard. It was a lot of work to have it like this, but from the legal perspective, I have to say, okay, it's only just a technical standard since now. I would say it's 
is not like if you would publish this as a European standard, then automatically all the CE directives have to be seen in the light of this standard. It's not like this. First, you have to uh, have modification of the wording of uh, the CE directives or at least a clear statement uh, by the European Commission or the working groups for the CE directives saying, okay, we have seen the new standard and we totally agree with the observation. It should be like this, but this has to be then also documented for example, in the guidance documents, which I would not exclude that would, that will happen, uh, but it's not like an uh, automatic process. So I would say the companies should really take notice from this new standard and even from the approach uh, with regards to like uh, user information in electronic form. Then, as the next step, uh, as we are talking about technical compliance uh, or product compliance, they should assess, is it possible for us under the applicable uh, laws and regulations to take this new standard and to work on uh, user information in electronic form? Sometimes this is possible for some cases outside the EU and then to observe the progress of the CE marking. As I said, uh, a lot of things are happening right now, not only Brexit, we are talking about new machinery directive. We are talking as, about as well a new low voltage directive. I would say in future, and I'm talking about a time frame of five, six years, we will have for sure a definite statement within the directives dealing with user information in electronic form and i do really hope that we will succeed as become europe uh, to uh, refer to the new standards either within the wording of the directive or within the guidance document right it sounds to me like there is the landscape of standardization of, of directives technology as well the state of technology is changing a lot so it it is a gray area as you mentioned earlier but in the end it's it's always how law is being interpreted by means of case laws for example that really depends because on one hand we have the case law but what is more important for, for market surveillance uh, is then the position of the working groups the, the working groups do consist of representatives of the market surveillance authority from all of Europe and uh, representatives of all the industrial industry associations, for example, Orgelum. And their task is to talk about the practical approach, the application of the CE directives in practice and Within this process, their task is to uh, define more or less rules how interpretation shall be done by, on one hand, the manufacturers, on the other hand, market surveillance authorities. And you were talking earlier about 
five inquiries you you have at the moment about companies that are investigating i think to reduce the amount of paper they provide with their product right. yeah can you be a bit more specific about those these inquiries yeah i can i can so it usually starts with the question how we can reduce the paper or the amount of paper because we do not want to print 400 pages anymore and this question comes Mostly from companies in within consumer electronics or? No, honestly from different companies. Having consumer electronics, also from companies selling machinery, from any kind of business you can imagine. It starts always with this question. Um, then it will usually turn out very soon that the quality of their technical documentation of their so-called manual is the problem. I think it's totally understandable uh, when you're facing 400 pages to be printed, to be translated. This is pure horror. But the question is very often, why is it 500 or 400 pages? And what then comes out, usually I would say, is that the company have not a proper understanding of technical writing in the sense that they are putting a lot of information uh, within the so-called manual, which has really nothing, zero to do with the practical application of the product, with the use of the product. And very often you have background information about the design of the product. This is nice for a guy, let's say, working in the design uh, department of the company which uses this product, but the operator is not interested in, in these information at all and will be uh, very often also in the position not to understand what, what is the background behind. So, in other words, I see very often uh, manuals, user information, uh, which are not manuals and user information in the strict sense. Uh, this is just a lot of information floating around. So behind the, the question we want to reduce the paper, like very often the case that uh, the companies have not a structured approach to do the technical writing, that they are not familiar with the principles we have in, in our standard A2079. Um, and this causes them the problems. And in the end, we have very often appropriate solutions. For example, that we take off a lot of information from the manual just to put it in information provided on the web page saying okay we give some background uh, we give some um, instructions for the, for the planning of a project what you can do with our product etc etc so to have that for example out of the manual and then the manual will be significantly reduced and then we are not talking about printing of 400 pages, then usually we are talking about 80 pages, which will be printed then. And then, surprisingly, 
there is uh, not really a discussion any longer. Yeah, clear, uh, Jens. Uh, another question that comes up is you, you indicated previously that like in general you based on your experience most countries still require printed documentation like in 99% of the cases i think you said are you aware of any situations where products were rejected on market yes for example turkey turkey is a very good example if the user information does not accompany uh, the the product in written form uh, as a printout, then uh, we have seen several cases the customs in uh, Turkey uh, simply reject the product. And Turkey, but, but Turkey is not part of the European Union. Yeah, but Turkey has adopted the machinery directive, for example, more or less directly. We have also seen um, a lot of cases in which products are picked up by customs uh, at the EU border, for example, uh, Hamburg Harbor, or even Rotterdam. The customs, are, meanwhile, are keen on looking for some product safety aspect of the product, and in particular, is the product accompanied by user manual, user instruction, and is the marking, the labeling of the product correct? Because you have to indicate the manufacturer and the importer by postal address. And if this is not done properly, then the custom uh, offices will not allow uh, to proceed further on uh, with the customs uh, to bring the product in the EU. Okay, and for example, you're mentioning the postal address. Uh, I think that's a requirement that can be found in most of the CE directives. Uh, for example, the EMC directive, the, the low voltage directive, etc., etc. Uh, S is a, descrip a description of the intended use. I think most directives require that as well. But then there are like loads of other requirements in other directives uh, for example uh, i know the radio equipment directive requires to mention the bandwidth so the, the and the frequency of 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 a radio equipment the machinery directive in in section 1.7.4 i think they have a list of maybe 20 30 other content requirements on the instructions are the instructions checked uh, on on this content so do they really look if the instructions comply with those requirements? Uh, the market surveillance uh, authorities do that, yes. The way they handle such cases is then that they give the product to an expert, uh, and this expert then will analyze, okay, are all these requirements fulfilled? In Germany, for example, we have the Bundesnetzagentur, which is the competent authority to check the R&D directive requirements. And I had during the last two years, uh, several uh, occasions in which I had to talk to the guys from the Bundesnetzagentur and these um, fellows are really uh, expert uh, when it comes to the R&D requirements. They know very well what is in the directive and what they can require from the manufacturer. Okay, so in, in this case, uh, they're checking the contents of the directive. 
Have you seen that market authorities ask this other institute to check the contents of the instructions based on the A2079 standard, which is a European harmonized standard at this moment, at least the 2012 version? Not explicitly. Uh, So what I had as a case once was uh, that the market terrain authority itself said, okay, this is the standard we have to to look uh, whether the requirements of the standard are fulfilled. I would say right now that the checking of user manual technical documentation against this standard is not something what you will have in any case. It's honestly rarely done so far, but this is only a question of the next two, three years, then uh, this situation uh, will change. Okay. Now, let's say that I'm a manufacturer of consumer goods. I sell my products in 24, 25 countries. So what, what I'm doing at the moment is I translate my instructions into all those languages. They're all uh, within the European Union. I'm into consumer goods, let's say like a remote control, a universal remote control. So I have like a really thick manual in all those languages for relatively a small product. So it's a lot of paper. Yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm a smart company and I, I want to reduce the amount of paper but I'm aware of the legal requirements on user instructions. So I think it's better to provide at least the safety instructions in paper form. I will decide to provide the user instructions in paper form, but still I want to reduce paper. Would it be a solution for me to provide a quick start guide with the product, which describes like the basic steps to use a product together with the safety instructions and provide all other information which is absolutely uh, non-safety related for example um, when, when there is an interface with the product on the television so all those print screens and how the interface works i want to provide that online w- would that be like a solution that is acceptable i'm struggling always a bit about this sort of quick guides because if you're going back to the terminology of the uh, directive, then no such quick guide is mentioned. So I usually advise the companies to do it differently. Just to say, okay, what I have in my understanding as quick guide is the user manual. Full stop. End of story. Because this is what the user needs. Not more, not less. And then to have a different term on the information which is then available online, for example, to say, okay, this is some sort of background information. This is some sort of add-on information, whatever term you, you may use, because then if I look from the marketplace perspective, then it's quite clear. You have a manual. No one can contest this finding. And you have reduce the paper yeah makes sense that's uh, that, that sounds like a good way of of solving this issue Th- what i'm thinking of now is that in the definition in the 8079 standard information for use is i think described as all information necessary to 
use a product safely, efficiently and effectively. So there might be some discussion that all the add-on information that you place online is information that you need to, to have access to in order to use the product effectively, for example. It's, but but it doesn't harm your liability, I think, does it? No, it does not. There will be some discussion about that, for sure. And I would clearly say the companies have to be well prepared to stand discussion. It uh, means that they have the concept behind, that they can explain, oh, okay, this is a useful information, by you, but you don't need it for the use. It's nice to have, but you can operate with a product on a safe level anyway. With our so-called quick guide, as, as I have, well, we discussed right now, more in the understanding of this is our user, user manual. Okay, thanks. What uh, would be the steps in order to create compliant user instructions? I think the first and very important approach is to get a sort of setting, you're talking about a company. So I think the first very important step should be that the company is aware about its product. This sounds a bit funny, but what I experience very often is that they have a catalog of 2,000 products and they have no clue and no idea for which type of product is which legal framework applicable. So if you talk about product compliance, you first have to sort your product, saying, okay, this is my product from the A, this is my product from the B, and this is B. Okay, then next step, find out which legal framework has to be observed. This depends then on the area uh, in which the product will be distributed, because or what, what I would clearly like to mention is the minute your product will pass a border, the minute... Sorry to interrupt you, uh, Jens. So actually you're saying there never is one general solution. It always starts with the current situation. Who is the company? What is the product? Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 So then to clarify, okay, this is my uh, legal framework. And then next, of course, to find out, okay, these are the requirements. I want to distribute the, the product, for example, in the US and in Europe. Okay. And the very good question is, do I need different kind of uh, manual or can I use the manual in Europe as well as in the US for some products? This is are uh, very much doable if you observe and take notice of the real, let's say, application of the product in the US means who will use the product, for example, industrial product, the knowledge of the operators is very low. Uh, so this has all to be taken uh, into the, your considerations. And then finally, you can have an or you should have a more detailed look on the specific requirements for the technical documentation. So as you mentioned earlier, there are some directives requiring really specific information to be presented by their user manual. 
this all as then to put together, we put together to some sort of framework, product compliance framework. And what I uh, advise uh, is usually that this should be put then in a sort of database available for anyone in a company that you have some sort of control about this framework and no one can say within the company, oh, I did not know. Um, because this is something which is uh, nonsense and no one outside the company would understand such matters. Yeah, makes total sense. And how can the technical writer contribute to product compliance in general to this process? Let me say it in a negative and in a positive way. Negatively, I would say the technical writer is not the person which should be responsible for the product compliance, like a product compliance officer. This is not what a technical writer should do because I would be afraid that there is a lot of technical background then missing and this will not be good because also the education of the technical writer is not focused on the issue of technical compliance. Positively, I would say the technical writer is very well trained usually and very good in doing research. So how can he contribute to the product compliance? I think the technical writer can be the responsible person to do the research for a lot of technical standards. At least he knows where to look in the internet or whom you have to ask maybe to do some service providing on the research of the technical standard. This can be a super good job for a technical writer. And here uh, in this sort of job, he can put uh, all his experience in so I think uh, this should be the role of a technical writer when it comes to the company. But still, I think a technical writer within a company uh, has to research and manage standards for an organization sometimes, or at least know which standards to apply for the, the user instructions. Or a safety expert, a compliance expert in the company has to do that. But especially in mid-sized companies, they don't have the means for a separate position exclusively for managing standards. In those cases, what would be your advice for these companies? For these companies, it's to decide whether they want to do it in-house or whether they want to use a service provider. In the meantime, you have a lot of service providers doing this job. And it's simply the question, how many technical summits do we have to observe? How many markets are interesting for us? And if it's too much, because this can be really a hell of work, then to decide, okay, this is too much to do it in-house, just use the service provider. This will cost you money, of course, uh, but I think this is in the end a good investment. And the position or the role of the technical writer, I think, he can give advice then to the management uh, saying, okay, look, this is too complicated. This goes beyond also my competence and this will consume more or less whole of uh, my, my uh, working hour budget. 
So uh, I would advise them to go to a service provider. Okay, thanks. I think we have to uh, come to a closing and I do have a few questions left here that, that came in from, uh, from a listener. Uh, first question, what is the most interesting case you're working on at the moment? <laughs> yeah, you know, as a lawyer, I cannot talk about my cases. So it's always... You, you, you can be descriptive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So exactly. <laughs> I have to find some abstract wording to describe it. Just say, I'm working for this German car manufacturer <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, in Wolfsburg. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, no comment on this. But I had yesterday a very interesting discussion with a, with a client. And we are talking about the, um, uh, the air industry. So we are talking about airplanes and about putting into an aeroplane. There is a technical solution for this, but it turned out during the last two years that this technical solution is not optimal. But a lot of the companies involved in this industry are still applying it. And now the Joint authorities as well as the standardization organizations have decided we have to stop this and they have set up a deadline. And the very good question is, our client, which is the manufacturer for such an equipment, shall handle this. Is it allowed to still manufacture and sell until this date? Or does this date mean no? The use of the equipment has to stop and Second question is also, am I liable as manufacturer for my client if the client, which they have already said, uh, will not comply with these requirements? So this is the setting of this uh, case. And we are talking about a very small, medium-sized company. Uh, and of course, if you're talking about the aviation business, their business, then you're talking about something and uh, about significant liability which may occur and it's also a case in which you can imagine uh, if they continue to use this may also cause some problems with the aeroplane this happened in the past so uh, Boeing 2.0 right yeah big industry big big responsibilities big liability yeah so very interesting uh, case. Thank you. Last question is a bit more uh, philosophical. How does the future look like when it comes to compliance, do you think? I think product compliance does play and will play more and more a very, very important role for the manufacturers. They cannot ignore what they, what they have done in the past. They cannot ignore the rules and regulations flying all over the world. And this is also very cost intensive. So the companies have to find a way to, to handle the, all the different regulations. And I'm pretty sure that we will not have in five years a situation of less rules and regulations. What we will have in five years is 
more and more more rules and regulations so it will become more and more difficult for the companies to have still the, the overview about the situation will it become easier to uh, to sell for example european products on the american market will there be harmonization between big markets this is always the political approach to have a free floating selling of products all over the world. Honestly, I doubt that. I do see more the tendency not to have a full harmonization uh, because uh, very simple fact, for example, US can just make a hell of money on just staying, for example, on the under standard. Because under the selling the standard, there's a service providing industry are doing all the, the, for example, all the tax and labels and etc. There is business concept behind all the different standards, and no one really likes to give up this business. Certification is also to be mentioned within this context. There, are, I doubt that, and we will not have a full harmonization. How can technical writers prepare for the future when it comes to compliance? I think very important for technical writers is to be very close to the development. Development of the product or of the st of standards? No, to development of the, the standards. To be very keen on getting any information on the further development they can get and to be really close with the, with the development. Some of them are doing that already but as you mentioned also i think it's important for technical writers to be close with the business and close with the product i'm always a bit surprised that i still uh, have discussions with some technical writers uh, during which the technical writer is saying okay i'm not allowed to touch the product what sort of nonsense is that yeah technical writer, you have to be uh, more or less the first user of the product, uh, so to be absolutely clear and familiar about the use of the product. I have one very, very, very last question, uh, Jens, something that, that just popped up in my mind, related to the, the discussion about online versus uh, print publication. What I hear, uh, hear every now and then is companies want to reduce the amount of paper they want to put everything all their user instructions online because they say companies like apple do that as well they don't provide paper user and manuals with their products and i think they're correct because i really think like those big companies don't provide any user instructions at all with their products how is that possible uh this is possible because uh, we're talking about very intelligent products uh and I have to say software and computers and smartphones as well is a bit of a special issue because um, first you have super simple products. Even a lawyer can uh, use <laughs> a smartphone. The potential risk of using a smartphone not correctly is zero. Nothing will happen. will not explode. Yeah, okay. But then, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but then... Does the market authority know this? Because I would say like a market authority in, in, for example, Rotterdam or Hamburg, they just say, okay, no, it's a product. It needs a paper manual. Yeah, but then the, the answer of Apple will be, it does not need a manual at all because it's self-explaining. 
Yeah, you're correct. It it is self-explaining, but I would say, for example, there are still it does emit radio waves. Uh, there is some like like a uh, magnetic field around it. Maybe you can't use it in hospitals. Just to mention a few potential risks, you do need to to warn the user for those risks. Or are these risks so so little that you can ignore them? They are very, very little indeed. And I think Apple uh, or other manufacturers of that sort of electronic product and software will stress the argument that it is stated also in the directives, to be fair, that you have to put a manual in, insofar or less this manual is needed. The information is needed for proper use of the product. So they will stress this argument and just say, okay, this is not needed at all. Yeah. Okay, clear. And I think where you're, you're mentioning a really important thing now, you're saying, okay, there is an argument, so there, there will be a discussion. And, and we didn't talk about that during this interview. But uh, what happens a lot, of course, is, you know, there are always different opinions of on how to implement the directive and when there are different opinions you start a discussion and you try to come to a solution nice last words uh, i would say thank you very much for this interesting interview uh, jens i can talk for hours and hours uh, with you about these these topics <laughs> yeah 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 i i give the compliment back it was very very okay, nice thanks uh yeah i think it was incredibly useful as well for for the listeners i think you you helped uh, you will help a lot of listeners to create better information for use. Uh, I wish you all the best, uh, Jens, and um, hope to see you see you very soon. Okay, thank you so much, Perry. Bye-bye. Bye. I would like to thank the thousands of listeners that follow my show, and I'd like you to listen to this show next week and all weeks that will follow as well. What have you got to lose? You are on your way to create happier and safer users. And I invite you to email me with your queries or just to say hi. Or maybe you want to be in the show. So continue listening or write that email right now or you won't be safe anymore. Only joking, of course.